Hello, Baseline family, and uh, thanks for joining us in this uh, digital gathering. And uh, now we're going to take a look at um, God's Word. And, and what's, what's really interesting is anytime uh, anyone speaks or gives a sermon, what we try to do is we try to take the truths of God's Word and see how it applies to uh, the circumstances of our day. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to continue in our um, series on the road to the cross. Uh, the circumstances of our day are much different than they were when we uh, first started uh, this series, but I think um, especially what we talk about today will um, intersect well with where we are. So today we're going to look at the what's called the rich young ruler. It's one of Jesus's encounters on the way to Jerusalem, and it's found in, in Matthew chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there and uh, follow along with me as we um, go through this. So it's also found in Mark 10 and in Luke 18, three different places uh, in the Bible. So here's how it starts. Uh, Matthew 19, verse uh, 16. It says, uh, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. In, um, you know, I, I kind of like Mark's uh, recording of this also in that recording in mark he says that the man came up and running to jesus and fell at his feet and so for me this is a really big question for this man has there's something really important to him that he has just has to ask jesus and and he asks him what must i do to get eternal life and the man is thinking that there's a group of laws he needs to follow or something else that he needs to do to get eternal life. And, and he's thinking of this kind of as a transaction. If I do these good things, then I'll get eternal life in return. And, and notice how Jesus changes it from a transaction to a journey. He says to the man, if you want to enter life, Right? Enter is, it means that you're joining in on something. It's not like you get something, but you're joining in on something. And so Jesus is saying, look, it's not about getting something. It's not a transaction. It's not legal. But you are now entering into a journey with God, a relationship with God. And then Jesus names the commandments, which really have to do with our human relationships. And then the man says this in, in verse 20. He says, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? So, I mean, this man, we'll find out later he's rich, but he's, he's not only is he rich and he's young, but he's also religious. I mean, he's a really great guy, I'm guessing. In fact, if, if, if he were around baseline here, you'd, you'd want to be his friend. He's a really good guy, but he also still realizes, even as he's done all these things, even as he's been religious, he still senses, what do I lack? There's still something missing. There's still sort of that, that hole in my heart that isn't filled yet by all this that I'm doing. Jesus, what is it that I need to do? So in verse 21, this is how Jesus answers. If you want to be perfect, 
Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, and, and at this point you might be saying, hey, well, I don't want to be perfect. <laughs> I don't need to be perfect. And the way Jesus is using this, this is also a phrase that he uses actually in the Sermon on the Mount. And it, what it really means is it suggests a maturity that you're getting it to full growth, that you have integrity in who you are. Is that what it, that's what it means. And it, what it really means is that if you really want to become all that God wants you to be, that all that God intends you to be, this is what you need to do. And he tells the man, you need to sell everything you have and give it away. And the man can't do it. Because here's what the question is. The big question that really this, this encounter brings up is this. Who or what is your God? For the man, money and wealth had become his God. It had become his idol, his, his object of worship. Right? There, there's a lot of things we can worship. We can worship money and possessions. We can worship status or position. We could even worship a relationship. We can even worship a person, person we've never met, right? Some athletic star, or a movie star, or whatever it might be. But there's lots of things that can, that can grab our attention and even our worship. And you see, idolatry starts in the heart. It's craving, it's wanting, it's enjoying, it's being satisfied by anything else that you treasure other than God. And for this man, money had become his God. And so when Jesus said, if you want to do it, if you want to follow me, you just need to leave everything behind and come follow me. Again, it's about relationship. And the man walks away. He couldn't do it. There was something in his life that was more important than God. And so then Jesus says to his disciples something that is a really hard statement for most of us. Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so Jesus actually is using a, an example that in their day would have been really funny. He's, he's saying, he's taking the animal, that the largest animal around Palestine and saying, it's like trying to fit a camel through the eye of a needle, the smallest thing. Now, oftentimes, a lot of people have tried to attempt to downplay what Jesus is saying and saying, well, what this really is is the, an opening in the, in the wall in Jerusalem and you could squeeze a camel through. And, but honestly, most of the commentaries I read say that is not what Jesus is meaning here. That he actually is trying to make a point that this truly is impossible. And, and here's what the truth is. It is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God on their own. It's impossible for a poor man to enter the kingdom of God on their own. 
It's impossible for a king or a servant or a shepherd or anybody else to enter the kingdom of heaven on their own. This is all about, and this is what Jesus is getting at, it's all about God's grace. That what is impossible for us to do on our own is only possible through God's grace. But here's the truth. And I know a lot of times we might be feeling like, and actually with all that's gone on this week, with the um, stock market tanking, people losing their jobs, there's a lot of um, financial anxiety that we're all feeling. But most of us, all of us really, compared to the rest of the world, most of the world, are really rich. We have so much. And so what Jesus is saying here is really important for us to take a hold of because it can be very difficult for those with wealth because we do not recognize our need for Jesus and our need for his grace. Our wealth can get in the way of a relationship with him. You know, see, it's so easy in our culture for money to become an idol. And it's not that we so much want to have a bunch of dollar bills around us all the time and all that, but it's what money brings that really becomes our idol. Because what we think money brings is comfort and security. And those are the things we really idolize. Those are the things we really want oftentimes more than even our relationship with God. I know I've struggled with that this week. I think many of us have. Is my hope in the money I have? Is my hope in my portfolio? Even is my hope in the job that I had? And I think what God is calling us to through these scriptures is to remind us that, that not to not allow those things to become an idol or a God in our lives. And to put Jesus first. There's some really important verses on money that I just want to share with you here at the end as we kind of wrap things up. And they're both from 1 Timothy chapter 6, as it would be. And, and here's what Paul says, um, some really amazing things. This, uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse, starting at verse 6, he says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So here's some truths from, from God's word for us today. Contentment is such an important truth for us to hold on to. Can we be content with what God has given us? Um, I mentioned this last week in the sermon that when Nancy and I went shopping last week and, and um, realized that there was not everything we wanted, there were no bananas, there's no toilet paper, that a lot of the shelves were kind of empty and, and we're walking out and we're driving home and, and Nancy said, you know what, it just causes me to be thankful for what we have. I think so often we're wanting more and more and we're not content oftentimes with what we have. And the sense in the scripture of what Paul is writing is that, that people can become basically, basically obsessed with gaining more and more wealth so that it is all that they think about 
and it causes damage to themselves, their emotional, relational, and spiritual selves. That the desire for more and more money and stuff, the desire to think that that's where I'll find my comfort and my security can actually damage us deeply emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And that it is the love of money that causes all types of evil in our world and personally. And then if you drop down just a few verses to verse 17, we'll end with these verses. Here's what Paul says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that truly is life. Whew. Important words for us, I think. So um, put your hope in God is what Paul says. Don't put your hope in wealth that is so uncertain as we've realized again this week, but our only hope can find its foundation in God. And then he says that God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God truly does want us to enjoy the life that he's given us. And oftentimes I think we think it means that again, that I have more stuff and I have a better car, or I have more things to toys to play with or whatever it might be. But I think what's happening to us today is helping us to realize that true enjoyment comes through many different ways. And, and the best the best is just in uh, relationships with one another. Being with your family, connecting, communicating, talking. That, that, that is one of the great ways that we can um, find the enjoyment that God wants us to have. And then uh, he's, Paul says again something really important. He says that those of us that do have should be generous, generous to others and to serve them. And, and to take the blessings that God has given us and not to hoard them, not to just gather them for ourselves, but to see what we have as a way of serving and caring for others. And again, there is gonna be lots of opportunities for us to do that. I mean, I've read of, of things online where um, people have bought the groceries for those who are standing in line with them when, when they find out that the other person has lost their job. Um, here at church, we're, we're giving away extra supplies we have to people that can use them. I mean, just look for different ways that you can actually be generous and, and serve one another. And then the, the, the kicker here at the end is this, so that they might take a hold of the life that is truly life, right? That we, we find out that, that by being people who are generous and willing to share by people that put their hope in God and find enjoyment in one another, that that truly is what life is about. And that life maybe isn't what we're fed all the time about accumulating more, or visiting these different places or whatever it might be. But that we, as God's people, would truly grab a hold 
of life that truly is the type of life that God has given to us for our great joy. And that's my hope for us, that we would continue to put our hope in God. So in the um, worship guide that's online, there'll be a set of questions there for you to think about. And I would encourage you that this little sermon I've given would just be the, the starting point where you as a family or maybe a, a small group of friends or maybe even just on the phone with somebody can, can go through these questions and, and answer them and, and think about the different practices that could help you to talk this through and, and help this to become a part of who you are. Um, my encouragement for us is to continue to lean into our relationship with God. Continue to grow that relationship so we have a greater trust in him and we can find our, our joy in him. So um, we do love you. We really do care for you. And um, let me uh, close us in a word of prayer. So Lord, um, my prayer is that you would take your word and that it would cause us to uh, trust you. I pray, Lord, that you would protect uh, the people of Baseline, the people of our communities, of our state, our nation, and even our world. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would um, strengthen uh, health care workers and that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would uh, turn the tide against this disease. And that, Lord, you would bring wholeness and health back to our world. And help us to learn what you want us to learn from this time. Help us to take advantage of time with family and with friends and continue, Lord, to, um, to do your good work in us. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I just want to leave you with one final sort of benediction. And um, it again comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. It's the one I shared last week, and it's, it's kind of the words I'm holding on to these days. But it goes like this. It says, um, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. God bless you. We love you and uh, we'll be in touch with you.